History Month, we tell the story of an American jazz musician whose life took many remarkable turns. You've probably never heard of him. In 2023, Maurice Rocco has been all but forgotten in popular music history. But Rocco was a nightclub and movie star in the 1940s, a household name around the U.S., and a significant contributor to early rock and roll. He was an expatriate in Thailand from 1964 through 1976. He was murdered there by two young sex workers. That history has obscured his legacy. In this episode, we bring his story back into the light and see what it can tell us. Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This edition, Bangkok After Dark. The story of Maurice Rocco. You're terrific. What's your name? Rocco. Maurice Rocco. You're through being a waiter. Come in in the morning and I'll give you a contract. Thank you, ma'am. How did Rocco, a gay black man born in Ohio in 1915, end up living on the other side of the world in Bangkok, Thailand in 1965 at the dawn of the Vietnam War? We'll get there, but let's begin in the middle. His favorite song was As Time Goes By. He would come and play 100% standing. That was showmanship. They had a spotlight. He would stand in it and sing. That's Monkon Pikeyu a Thai drummer who played in one of Rocco's bands in Thailand, speaking with music scholar Benjamin Tausik of SUNY Stony Brook University. Benjamin is writing a biography of Rocco. Rocco had a nightly gig for years at the Bamboo Bar inside Bangkok's Oriental Hotel, the most elite hotel in the country at the time. Mong Kaun played with Rocco there, and here is part of a set from 1965. When you're smiling, keep on smiling, and the whole world smile to you. Smiles with you when you're laughing. 
Honey child, keep on laughing. The sun will shine right down on you. When you're crying, will you bring on the ranks? Stop that sighing. And be happy again when you're smiling. Keep on smiling. And the whole world smiles with you. Well, the whole world will smile with you. The recording we've just heard is from January 1965, at the very beginning of Rocco's expatriate phase in Thailand. The set is classic Rocco, with the heavy dose of 1930s jazz standards in the boogie-woogie style. Rocco was a true performer. His powerful left hand spelled out boogie-woogie bass lines while he improvised brilliantly with the right. He was a master of the nightclub style that had reigned in New York and Chicago in the 1940s with plenty of stage banter and a penchant for showmanship. And as Moncon said, he always stood up as he played. But even as late as 1965, Rocco's specialty remained the jazz of the 1930s and 40s. Rocco was quoted by a Hong Kong newspaper in 1965. In 1940, my style was called boogie-woogie, and basically, I haven't changed much since then. Rocco had a hugely successful second act doing this in Asia, but again, how did he end up in such a faraway place? Well, let's rewind to the beginning of his life. Valerie Edwards Elliott is a retired regional history librarian in Oxford, Ohio. She's been researching Rocco's life for years, adding rich detail to the local archives. Maurice John Rockhold was born June 26, 1915, in Oxford, Ohio. His father, John, was a local butcher, and his mother, Ruby, was, um, in addition to being a homemaker, she was also a cleaning woman, a performing pianist, and a piano teacher. She was an excellent player, and in fact, she was Maurice's first instructor. She played in the AME Church in Town, and she also accompanied silent films at the Oxford Theater. Maurice had five siblings, and they were all musically inclined, um, just as their parents were. And we know that um, Louis Rodebaugh, who actually knew Rocco in childhood, has spoken in an oral history from uh, 1980 about how Ruby would often take Maurice along with her when she went to her cleaning jobs. And also, she would pretty much insist that her little boy be allowed to come along with her all day long. And uh, she took jobs where that house had a good piano, in some cases a baby grand piano. And Rocco told me that her day, a lot of the time, was a 12-hour day. And he played the piano that entire time. Part of this was when he was scarcely over four years old. Thank you. 
The story that has been told here in Oxford is that his mother, Ruby, played classical music. Maurice really wanted to learn to play jazz, and she let him do that. I should mention that his talent was recognized very early uh, by the school principal, and he invited Maurice to play at school functions and processionals and things like that. would often jazz up the numbers, which, of course, you know, delighted his fellow students at the public school. And I should mention that this village school had been racially integrated since the 1880s, so Maurice had both black and white classmates. So at the time, the popular style of music was boogie-woogie, which is a kind of jazz-blues hybrid. And that's what Maurice had taught himself. His left hand would play an eight-to-bar bass line, moving up and down to describe each chord of a 12-bar phrase. And meanwhile, his right hand was free to syncopate. when Maurice was 15, he was a local celebrity playing fraternity parties at Miami University and on the radio. He was already known for standing up while he played, a difficult and very marketable gimmick. By the early 1930s, he had a growing national reputation, and at some point, he came to the attention of New York bandleader Noble Cecil, and soon to none other than Duke Ellington. It was about this time that he adopted his stage name, Rocco. Benjamin Tosik interviewed Mr. Ennis Miller, an Oxford resident who heard Rocco play when he was young. Oh, <laughs> it was quite something because he was a stand-up piano player and he was very good. He had a new style that was not known at the time, stand-up piano, and he was a, he was an excellent piano player. I don't know. It was really nice to see. Rocco started as a nightclub act once he moved to New York City, but he quickly made a name for himself in the movies, including a popular musical review called Vogues of 1938. <laughs> Thank you. 
burn your blues away. Oh, nothing will ever go wrong, yeah, man. Rocco became a nationally known star by about 1940, and in fact, he was one of the highest earning black nightclub acts in the country. He recorded a number of sides for Decca Records in 1940 and 41, like this one, Rocco's Boogie Woogie. In addition to his Decca sides, Rocco also recorded several soundies, two or three minute musical films that resembled early music videos. In the 1940s, patrons of bars and other drinking spots around the United States could pay a dime to watch a soundie on a large television-like console, somewhat like a video jukebox. Rocco's stand-up piano playing worked perfectly for this new visual medium. American Studies scholar Vincent L. Stevens 
is an expert in mid-20th century queer performance. What is so fascinating and important about that Rocco clip is the degree to which he telegraphs his sexuality. When he stands at the piano, he's situating himself within performance traditions of Boogie Woogie, which like many forms of black jazz and blues in the early 20th century, was a space of sexual freedom, including non-normative sexuality. The Chitlin Circuit, barrel houses, and jazz scenes in cities like New York, Chicago, and St. Louis in the 1920s were famous for their sexual variety, spaces of love and pleasure, where you could be yourself in a way that mainstream white society off limits. And the musical performances in those spaces involved a lot of queer gestural communication. When Rocco stands, both in this soundy and at other times, he is very much engaged in queer gesturing that harkens to these scenes of queer jazz. He also does things like flutter his eyelashes in an exaggerated way, which at that point in history was a clear signal of his orientation, just as it would be now. Rocco was a major mainstream success throughout the 1940s. Even if he couldn't be open about his sexuality, he was very visible. In April 1950, he was featured on Bob Hope's first ever television special. Rocco was the very first performer. The world's only stand-up boogie-woogie pianist, Mr. Maurice Rocco. Rocco's appearance with Bob Hope was in some ways the beginning of the end for his career in the U.S. The early 50s saw the first stirrings of what would become rock and roll, as Rocco was by far the best-known standing pianist throughout the 1930s and 40s. It is a near certainty that players like Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard, who became famous for standing at their pianos, were influenced by him. Rock and roll's DNA has Maurice Rocco right inside of it. And yet, Rocco himself did not care for rock music. 
and he did not adapt to it when it became the preeminent form of popular music. As his star dimmed in the early 1950s, he began looking for other opportunities, including outside of the U.S. In 1955, Rocco was invited to headline an international tour of New Zealand and Australia for an ensemble called the Harlem Blackbirds, which also featured acts like Mabel Scott. He happily left the U.S. for almost a year. These are the famous Harlem Blackbirds. Life's never tough when they're in town. Did I say tough? Not when Lockjaw Jackson's around. the star of the Blackbirds tour throughout the second half of 1955 and early 1956. Benjamin Tosik interviewed Betty Fraser, a chorus girl who performed with Rocco on tour in Australia and New Zealand. Because we were from the United States, we got star treatment, you know. People were very kind to us and we didn't have any racial issues. Maybe a few might have been, you know, some little personal issues here and there where we went to parties and one lady bumped into me and gave me a dirty look for no reason. Right, right. <laughs> Other than that, they treated us very well. They treated us like uh, When Rocco returned to the U.S. in 1956, he found that his situation was even worse. He was no longer getting many gigs and the ones he got didn't pay like before. So, in 1959, he decided to leave the United States forever. Here's Valerie Edwards Elliott. So, we know that his first stop outside the U.S. was the United Kingdom. And that's where he began to revive his career because audiences that greeted a black American jazz musician with excitement over there unlike in the U.S. where his style of music was really no longer very popular. And then from there, Rocco went to Switzerland, France, and the Netherlands, and possibly other places in Europe. Uh, we know he was in Australia, Asia, maybe even the Middle East. But very little is known about what he was doing between the years 1960 and 1964, except that he seemed to be doing well. Uh, there were some only scattered articles from European newspapers. Uh, the American press sometimes mentioned him or asked where he'd gone, but very few people seemed to know. In the morning, when the moon is at its rest, you will find me the time I love the best. Watching rainbows play on sunlight, pools of water, ice cream cold nights in the morning, yeah. Morning of my life. In 
questions here that are related on a somewhat different topic. Why did you choose France as your residence or one of your residences? Do you consider yourself an exile or an expatriate? How would you compare the French attitude toward blacks with that of America? Or is there as much racism in France as here in the States? <laughs> I went to France in 1948 when I was quite young. I went there with $40. No French, no one-way ticket. Or in other words, I was getting out of here. I didn't so much go to Paris as leave New York. And the reason I left New York was because I knew that one fine Tuesday, somebody was gonna call me just once too often, just once too often, and somebody was going to die. And I didn't care which one of us it was. So I split. I didn't know what was gonna happen to me in Paris, but I knew what was gonna happen to me here. A number of black artists and intellectuals became expatriates in Asia for the same reason. Singer Laverne Baker made her first extended tour abroad in Australia, performing there in 1957. Like Rocco, she returned to Asia in the 1960s, ultimately staying in the Philippines for more than 20 years, even playing in Bangkok. Eartha Kitt? toured Asia throughout the 1960s. Trumpeter Buck Clayton spent 1935-37 in Shanghai, where he enjoyed respect and compensation of a kind he had never known in the U.S. Rocco took a similar path, settling in Thailand in the middle of 1964. Why Thailand? Sudina Pongpet is a historian of Thailand who focuses on the Vietnam War era. From the beginning of the Cold War, Thailand cozied up to the United States politically. Much of Thailand's development, especially during the 1950s, was geared towards serving the interests of the U.S., which provided assistance to its military, its infrastructure, its media networks, and so on. As a result, the 1950s also became a boom time for foreign entrepreneurs in Thailand, including Americans. Foreigners opened bars, restaurants, clubs, pharmacies, and stores. American, or Makan things, were extremely trendy. The trend extended to music, too. The King of Thailand began composing jazz in the 1940s, including pieces like the Candlelight Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
King Pumipon would famously jam with Benny Goodman in both New York and Bangkok. How about that? Coming up, Maurice Rocco's rise and fall in war-era Bangkok. Visit afropop.org for more on Maurice. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Here's Surina. Bangkok was a very comfortable and accommodating place for Westerners from the 1950s onward. Not only was it full of Western businesses that offered the kinds of amenities that they were used to, but it was also very cosmopolitan. You could hear jazz, eat an international meal, and meet beautiful people. Plus, your dollar would stretch very far because of low labor costs. As American military involvement in Vietnam ramped up, this situation only intensified. And you could hear the intimacy of the geopolitical relationship between Thailand and the U.S. in the music that was popular in Thailand. One of the most successful Western entrepreneurs in Cold War Thailand was Jim Thompson, who died under mysterious circumstances in 1967, and who is now best known for launching the silk company that bears his name. One of his other ventures was to restore Bangkok's famous Oriental Hotel in order to make the atmosphere appealing to the new international crowds of the 1950s Thompson and his partners opened a jazz club called the Bamboo Bar. And in 1964, the Bamboo Bar hired none other than Maurice Rocco as its nightly pianist. Now, we're back to where we began, in the middle, with Rocco playing at the Bamboo Bar in 1965, just before the U.S. entered the Vietnam War. Perhaps now is the time to mention who made this recording of Rocco at the Bamboo Bar. Well, it happens to have been Doris Duke, the billionaire tobacco Harris, who was one of the richest people in the entire world at the time. Doris was a lover of both jazz and Southeast Asia art. The Bamboo Bar was the cosmopolitan epicenter of a new global age, and Maurice Rocco was its featured act. That's where Doris Duke chose to spend her Saturday nights. For an American musician like Rocco, whose peak at home had long passed, this was a new beginning, surreal as it must have been. 
At 50 years old, a world away from where he'd made a start in Ohio and New York, Rocco was thriving once again, playing for elite audiences and being showered with attention and opportunity under a new global order. Interest in Western culture, including music, was at a high point in Thailand during the Vietnam War. Here is Surina. Thai music had taken influence from the West for a long time. Influences from Black and Latin American traditions came first by way of the Philippines around 1898, when local people learned brass band music from Black American soldiers during the U.S. colonial occupation. By the 1930s and 40s, jazz had spread to other parts of Southeast Asia, including Thailand. Meanwhile, Latin ballroom music, which was a global phenomenon, became hot around the same time. The main purveyor of that music in Thailand was a group called Sundarapon Band, who played dance styles like rumba, mambo, and cha-cha-cha, but sang in Thai. Sundarapon influenced many bands in Thailand. Added to this was the popularity of jazz, an African-American style, of course, and the country had become very much accustomed to Black and Afro-Latin music. So in the 1950s and 60s, when Westerners started arriving in the country in droves, it was not a surprise for Thais to hear the music that those Westerners brought with them, which by then was mostly rock and roll of the psychedelic variety. You might think that Rocco was entering a radically new environment where his approach to jazz would be alien. But as we've said, Thais actually knew jazz and blues very well. In many ways, Rocco was right at home. During the Vietnam War, Many American soldiers would take their R&R trips in Bangkok. Parts of the city were basically a big party, oftentimes with zero accountability in case you got drunk and engaged in some kind of mischief. Maurice Rocco was a kind of upscale act that officers would want to catch, while lower-ranking soldiers might go to a bar where a Filipino band was playing covers from the Rolling Stones album that had been released a week ago. Rocco 
was a lot of variety, and there was very little line between Thai music and so-called Western music. One genre from northeastern Thailand, called Malam Plun, was famous for incorporating all kinds of tones from rock and psychedelic music. If you listen to Lam Plun from the 1960s and 70s now, it sounds like psychedelic music. One example was the Pet Pintong Band, who used a combination of Thai drums and the very first electrified version of a Southeast Asian stringed instrument called the pin. Music like this by the Pet Pintong Band was defined by its groove. That was no accident, but it was not imitation either. Black and Afro-Latin music had been circulating in Thailand for 30 years, since long before American soldiers brought in albums by Jimi Hendrix and the Commodores. Paris Prado and Tito Puente were widely known. Thai bands were already well-versed in global black and Afro-Latin idioms, and so were their listeners. Maurice Rocco fit right in. He loved Thailand, and Thailand loved him back. When Duke Ellington came to Bangkok about four months before he died, at the airport, uh, I was interviewing him, and he said, by the way, he said, do you know Maurice Rocco? I said, yes. He said, what's he doing in Bangkok? I said, he's playing the piano like he does everywhere else. He says, where can I see him? So I said, he can go to this place tonight where he's playing. I mean, that's, that's how well-known he was. Rocco was on top of the world in Bangkok. In the 1960s and the first half of the 70s, 
He hobnobbed with all kinds of famous people who came through town, including Duke Ellington. It's even rumored that he jammed with the King of Thailand himself at a resort just south of Bangkok. He was hugely successful and by all appearances, he was also happy. Certainly, he was freer than he would have been in the US. Thailand did not have anti-black racism or homophobia to the degree that America did. And as an American, he had a certain kind of privilege in Thailand. Here is Sudina. The only problem for Rocco came when the Thai-U.S. relationship was strained by the slowing of the Vietnam War. America started to withdraw its soldiers in the 1970s, and Thailand really suffered from that economically. We can hear it in pieces like the famous Love Letter from a Rented Wife, a Thai song written by Ajin Panchapan and sung by Mani Mani Wan. That song speaks directly to the experience of women during the R&R era. It is written in the format of a love letter from a jilted Thai woman to the American serviceman who had been her partner until he left Thailand and returned to Illinois. The song mixes English and Thai, just as a rented wife would have done in everyday speech at the time. She is saying how she misses him depends on him. And finally, she decides to take her own life out of despair, for she doesn't know his address. เขียนในแฟลตที่อยู่เคยนอนจังหวัดอุดรประเทศไทยแลนไอ้โปรแกนฮาร์ดยูมัสต์อันเดอร์สะแตนจอนจ๋าจอนโดนฮาขัดแล
กมิดกับมีที่เมืองดีเอศโศกเศร้ากว่าแสไม่เป็นโทเวนเอ่ยเวนหูช่วยเขียนทีฉีกทิ้งเล็บเตอหันไปเจอดีดีทีกูดบายสวัสดีโกมิกับมีที่เมืองดีเอเพลง foreshadows how devastated Thais and Thailand would be when Americans withdrew from the war in Vietnam. By 1975, the withdrawal was undermining whole industries as well as leading to mass internal migration and crime. Rocco's situation was no longer so comfortable. Harry Roldnick was the nightlife reporter for the Bangkok Post in the 1970s. He was Rocco's friend. Ben Tosik interviewed him. It was a dangerous time to be gay in Bangkok because a lot of a lot of these boys came down from the villages, and they saw a way to make quick money, not only to be paid, but to look around people's apartments and to see if they had any money, anything which could be stolen. And gay celebrities who would come there, and they, you know, I'd interview them, and they'd say, "Where do you know where we can get gay sex?" And I'd tell them where they could go, and I'd give them the rules: don't keep anything valuable in your apartment, blah blah blah, all of it. Well, Maurice played the dangerous game. He was always very, very nice, and he was just a, a very, very sweet, sweet person. But he did it the wrong way. Here's Sudina. Lada Utasang was the housekeeper. The meban at the apartment building where Rocco lived. She saw the two young men inside the apartment talking to Rocco when she arrived that day with a carpenter to fix a broken mosquito screen. The boys left an hour later. Lada returned to clean Rocco's apartment the next day around 1:30 p.m. She found his corpse naked on the bed. She ran to tell the building manager, who called the police. His trachea was slashed. The knife was dropped in the bathroom basin. The boys were never caught. He died on a Wednesday. I know because the bamboo bar was closed on Mondays. On Tuesday, we went to work. On Wednesday, he didn't come. And we knew something bad had happened to him. Rocco was cremated at a nearby temple. Henry Kissinger was personally involved in the State Department effort to repatriate his ashes. And in April 1976, Rocco's remains were flown to the airport in Canton, Ohio, and from there 
back to Oxford. Welcome, welcome. It is really good seeing all of you here today. Uh, my name is Fran Jackson, and it is my pleasure as president of the Oxford NAACP to welcome you this afternoon. We are here today to celebrate the history of Woodside Cemetery and the life of Maurice Roker, an international known jazz musician who was born and buried in Oxford, Ohio. So in March of 2022, at the public cemetery in Oxford, we finally unveiled an Ohio historical marker for Maurice Rocco. Now, Rocco's remains had been buried in his mother's grave, but he never had a headstone of his own. And this means that for more than 40 years, there was no marker of any kind for him in his hometown. But we thought that given his contributions to rock and roll, his amazing talent, and his really remarkable story, we felt he should have some kind of local memorial. So on a cold, windy day, uh, many of his admirers and even a few of his living relatives came together for the ceremony. And of course, there was music by members in the same church where his mother had played. Rocco was truly a singular musician, and his journey spanned to the outer reaches of popular music in the 20th century. If black music was a global phenomenon during that century, it seems important to also tell the stories of black musicians whose travels took it so far. Maurice Rocco, secret contributor to rock and roll and exponent of jazz to Asia, is one such musician. And now, Harry, I know how much you like jive, so as a special birthday surprise, I've invited the king of boogie-woogie piano players to come to the party and play for you. You have, Eddie? Yeah, he's here in the studio right now, Maurice Rocco. Well. Uh, Maurice, I, I've seen you play in nightclubs many times, and I noticed that you never use a piano stool. Well, frankly, Mr. Canner, when I was in Hollywood, I owned a piano stool. 
but I lost it to a fellow club member named Rochester. <laughs> what? How did, you, how did you happen to lose it? Well, Ross and I were engaged in a friendly little game of African badminton. <laughs> African badminton? Say, I... I, Look, I, I wonder, Eddie, what Rochester would want with a piano stool. Well, he has to stand on it to comb Jack Benny's hair, you know. Well, I, well, I don't know Mr. Benny was taller than Rochester. He isn't. He keeps his hair on a high shelf. <laughs> but anyway, as long as you're standing up, Maurice... Look, Maurice Rocco is going to play Ida. comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and from PRX-affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Benjamin Tausik. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop close-up podcast series. And by the way, if you're in New York, New Jersey, or Connecticut on Saturday, February 25th, 
Join us for a special Afropop dance party in collaboration with World Music Institute's Let's Dance series. We'll enjoy dancing to the Latin fusion band Afro Dominicano and Puerto Rican Panamanian DJ Bambona. That's at New Blue in New York City. For more info, email us at info at afropop.org. And don't forget to join us next week for another Black History Month edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed in Brooklyn by Michael Jones. Additional engineering by GC from the syncopated lair in Washington, D.C. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Mukwai Wabei Siyolwe. And I'm Georges Collinet. Oh, rocket. Oh, rocket. Oh, won't you rock it for me?